You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You ever think about the concept of margin when it comes to life? Like if I were going to give you a definition of margin, I would say that margin is the amount allowed beyond that which is required. So I'll say it again, and then you repeat those words after me, okay? The definition of margin is this, okay? It's the amount allowed beyond that which is required. So one more time to make sure you got it down, okay? It's the amount allowed beyond that which is required. So, I come to you this morning to preach a sermon, and the notes that I bring with me look like this. And what I've done is made sure that I didn't start on the very edge of the paper, I start after I leave a margin. And I don't go all the way to the edge, I leave another margin. I I could start on the very edge and go all the way to the edge, but it would not be aesthetically appeasing, and and I think it would also feel chaotic to me, like life would feel if I didn't have margin in my life. And so margin looks this way as well. I remember when we were going to Guatemala quite a bit when a few years ago I was living in Cincinnati, we would drive on the roads in Guatemala and there wasn't much margin on those roads. And so you would be driving up this mountain road and you would look down which looked like it would fall for miles. And I mean, if you just barely got off the road, it was over. There was no margin. Annette and I were coming home last night and we had a layover in Houston. But when we got off the plane, it wasn't like we had to be on the next plane in two minutes. Actually, we had a layover that was about two hours. We didn't need the full two hours. But the two hours was margin. It's when you allow more than what is required. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes we live our lives without margin. We just live our lives all the way to the edge. We don't allow any room for error. If we get crowded at the center line, we are in trouble. And so I guess I'll wonder if I'm looking at somebody this morning who would say, Hey Rick, If you came to our house, you wouldn't find a lot of margin. Like in the area of finances for us, every dollar that comes in, that's how much it takes for us to live. There is no money left over ever. There is no margin in our finances. We just live all the way to the edge. And so if something comes up that's a surprise, I mean, we got problems. Or in our schedule, there's no margin. We live life all the way to the edge. I mean, from the time we get up in the morning till we go to bed at night, our life is just packed full. I mean, it is just full. And there's not any room for margin in our lives. The truth is, life without margin is unsustainable. So, you might say, what, what do you want to say to us? What does it have to do with this Christian life that we live? Here's the deal. We have been given this wonderful gift, God's Word to us, okay? And when we open this book, what we find in this book is that God is very upfront with us about what is important, what matters, what really counts in life. 
And as followers of Jesus Christ, here's what we have to say to ourselves. I must make room in my life. I must create margin in my life for the things that are important, the things that count, the things that really matter. And so open your Bible with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to start reading in verse 34, okay? Matthew 22, and we'll start with verse 34. So here are the words of Jesus, response to a question that he's being asked by a guy who is an expert, a teacher of the law. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 22. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So, so the word that he uses that is translated greatest is in the Greek, megas. And so it's translated usually great. But the implication here is that of ranking. So if we open the Bible to the first five chapters, which is the law, and we look at all of those commands in there, is there any way that you could rank them? Like, could you tell us which one of those commandments is like the most important one? And so Jesus says, yes, I can help you with that. Uh, Jesus replies, love the Lord your God. With all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And so out of all the commandments, if you want to know what the most important one is, Jesus says, I have no problem telling you. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, this is the essence of the law. To love God and to love your neighbor. And so may God bless the reading of his word for us today. Amen. I have a friend named Genty. Uh, Genty was raised in a country called Togo on the continent of Africa. It's in the middle western part of the continent. And so as we got to know Genty pretty well, we became friends. And, and I said to Genty one day, Genty, when you think about life in Togo, and you think about living now here in America, what, what is like the most obvious difference in living in Togo and living in the United States? You know what Genty says to me? He says the biggest difference in living in Togo and living in the U.S., is that when you're home in Togo, you would never go in your house and close your door and just stay there. He said, in Togo, when you're home, you're like outside. And, and you're living life in your neighborhood with your community and with your family. But he said, in America, when people go home, his eyes got really big. He said, they don't even get out of their cars. They push a button and their garage doors go up 
and they drive in. They don't even get outside to go in their house and the door comes down. And sometimes he says, they don't come out of their house again until you see the door raise. And they back out of the car and they drive away. And so I think when people like you and me hear those words, we say, well, weather has something to do with that too. You know, our climate is a little different here. But, but who wouldn't want to live life like that? I mean, who wouldn't want to invest in time with their neighbors and their family and friends? And who wouldn't want to live life outside? But I think the real problem we have is we say, who has the time? I mean, everybody is so busy. And how in the world could you come home every evening and just kind of live your life out in community? We don't get home a lot of evenings. So a guy named Richard Swenson, who is a medical doctor, he writes a book, and the book is called Margins. Has anybody ever read this book? Richard Swenson says, my motivation for writing the book was because people were coming to see me as a medical doctor for sure, with broken legs. But they were also coming with broken hearts. And I definitely had patients walking into my office with bleeding ulcers. But they were also walking into my office with bleeding emotions. They were tired. And they were frazzled. And they couldn't remember a time when they'd slept through the night. He says the enemy to all of this is our infatuation with progress. But our language betrays us. Because when we talk about progress, we always talk about progress in terms of money or transportation or communication or technology. He says we seldom ever talk about progress in terms of progress in my relationships with you. Or we seldom talk about progress in terms of with my relationship with the Father. And Richard Swenson says it's cost us something. In our society, he said, people are overwhelmed with drug addiction. And alcoholism, divorce, and depression, and teenage pregnancy, and suicide. And if we're all living the good life, then why do so many of us need sedatives? And why are the offices of therapists so full? And if we have ten times as much as our ancestors did, why aren't we ten times as fulfilled? Or why aren't we ten times as content? And so I grab my Bible and open it. And I learn that Jesus has a great deal to say about stuff like this. And he talks about it in terms of where we are focused. So if you open your Bible to Matthew 22 like we did a moment ago in verse 1, Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers talk about the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about this eternal kind of life that you can participate in. So it's not just this life that he's talking about that begins after I die. Redemption is not in the eyes of Jesus just about getting me ready when I leave this world. He's talking about this eternal kind of life that you live right now. And he talks about the values of that kind of life. 
And then He lives that kind of life before us. And you and I try to become like Him. You understand, we were never challenged to live like a king. We were always challenged in Scripture to live like the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Live your life like him. And so it's in this setting that he begins to talk about the kingdom of God and the values within the kingdom of God. So you had Sadducees and you had Pharisees. You know what the difference is between the two? Sadducees were actually very wealthy people. They were the aristocrats. The Pharisees, they were the more middle class people. But the two groups of them together made up the highest Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees had the majority of the 70 seats. The Pharisees had the minority. But because the Pharisees were middle class people, they had the support of the common man. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection and the afterlife. Or that God was ultimately in control. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the afterlife and that God was ultimately in control. And so they have a conversation, the Sadducees do, with Jesus about the resurrection. And Jesus reminds them that there is an afterlife and there is a resurrection. And so once he had silenced them, literally in the Greek, put a muzzle on them, the Pharisees got together. And one of the experts of the law asked Jesus the question. So out of all the commandments, can you rank them? In fact, can you tell us which one is the most important one? And Jesus says, I can do that for you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. With your will, with your spirit, with your intellect, your whole being. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is the Shema. It's called the Shema because in Hebrew, the word here is translated Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Do you understand that it's the first scripture that a child would understand who was Jewish? That he would memorize. And before every Jew got out of bed in the morning, he said the Shema. When he went to bed at night, before he went to sleep, he said the Shema. Every time Jewish people came together to worship, you know what the first thing they said was? The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And then he says the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor. Leviticus 19. But love your neighbor like you love yourself. I wonder, I I wonder if, if, if somebody is is thinking with me a little bit right now. And, and you would say, Rick, of all the people that I know, in fact, of all the people I've ever known, the person that I love most in this world would be me. I am crazy about me. I'm nuts about myself. In fact, that's what I keep asking God to fix. And so Jesus says, when you love your neighbor, that's how I want you to love your neighbor. Like you love yourself. 
Blair Spindle attends our church and he is the chaplain at Southern Nazarene University. And a couple of months ago he was speaking in chapel. And he said, we got up to go to church one Sunday morning and my daughter had gotten ready and she says to me, Dad, how do I look? And he said, I looked at my daughter and I said to her, well, you're beautiful. He said, a few minutes later, we're piling in the car to go to church and I look around and she has changed clothes. And, and so I said to her, honey, why... Why did you change? And she said, I don't know, Dad. I just wasn't feeling it. And Blair said, we, we're a society that is very, very, very much aware of feeling. But Blair said, faith is much, much, much much more than feeling. And you don't change your faith like you change your clothes because I'm not feeling it. And so when Jesus says to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor, He uses the same word for love both times. Although there's five options in the Greek language, He uses the word agape, which is an act of the will. It is a choice that I make. I choose to love God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. Even on those mornings, I'm not feeling it. And I choose to love my neighbor like I love myself, even though sometimes I don't feel it. I make a choice to love. It is a decision that I have made, an intellectual choice in my mind that I've committed that I will love God even when I don't feel like loving God, and I will love my neighbor like I love me even when I don't feel like I love my neighbor like I love me. And so you say, okay, I got it. But you're going to have to connect the dots, Rick. What do margins have to do with me loving God and loving people? What do margins have to do with my relationship with God and my relationships with others? So here's the answer. You ready? Buckle on. Here we go. Here's the deal. Relationships are experienced in the margins of our lives. That's where we do relationship. It's about making room for the important stuff. And Jesus gave us a list of what's important. God is important. People are important. And where you spend time with God and people are in the margins of your life. So it works like this for me. I'm in a meeting at work one day and I get a a call from Morgan or from my Brittany, my two daughters. And there's no way I can answer the phone. I'm in a meeting. And so I decline the call and I text and say, hey, I'm in a meeting. Uh, Do you need something? And, and, And what I'm saying to them is that I can't really do relationship right now because I'm at work. And so on our way home yesterday, on a layover, we pick up the phone, we call Morgan, and we say, Hey, Morgan, we're going to be home tonight. Haven't seen you for a week or so. We're wanting to see if we can get together. We've held lunch open tomorrow. We're not not going to lunch with, with somebody. We don't have an appointment. It's not a work kind of lunch. We held it open for you. And what we're really saying to Morgan is this, that your relationship to us is very important and we've decided that we're going to create margin in our life so that we can have relationship with you. 
See, I could get up in the mornings. Honestly, I could do this. I could run to the shower. I could get out of the shower. I could slip on my shoes. I could grab stuff on the way out the door in a breakfast bar. And I could head off to work. I could do that every morning of my life. But I choose not to. Instead, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is go looking for my Bible in the dark. And I head out of the bedroom. And I sit down with God's Word. And it amazes me how every morning God speaks to me through His Word. And then after God has spoken to me through His Word, I listen for a while and I speak to Him. It is so important that every morning of my life I create some margin. I know that I could work longer. I know I could get more done. I know I could live to the edge. But I choose not to do it. See, I, I know that I've told Annette I love her. I mean, I know I've told her. I must have told her somewhere along the way. I, I, she knows I love her, surely. But, but you know what's really important in our lives? There's got to be a couple of nights a week where it's just me and Annette. Got to be. If, if I don't do that, everybody at my house is not happy. And so I have to create margin in my life. I could work every night. Do you know what I could get done? But when I leave margin out of my life, that's when relationships begin to suffer. And Jesus said there's only two things in life that are really important. That is God, my relationship with Him, and people, my relationship with them. And if I don't have margin in my life, and I live to the edge every day, then those relationships begin to suffer. See, I wonder if anybody is saying to me, Rick, we we have no margin in our lives. No margin. If you wrote a story about my life, Rick Harvey, you would have to start on the very far left edge of the paper and write all the way to the other edge because there is no margin. So I hear stories all the time and I pray with people all the time. Sit in my office and listen to people talk. But really the stories are a lot the same. I remember a young couple coming in my office a few years ago and they sat down and they said, before we tell you where we are, we probably should back up and kind of tell you how we got here. He said, we didn't make good, good plans with our money and we didn't manage money well. And before we knew it, we weren't able to pay our bills. We just, we had taken on debt and we just could not make it happen on the money that we were bringing in. And we were borrowing money to stay afloat. And so I got a second job. And so I would go to work all day. When I got off work, I went to my second job. And I worked until it was past bedtime. And then I would come home and fall onto the bed, collapse, sleep, get up in the morning and go do it all again. We never really stopped to think when I took the second job of the impact that was going to have on our marriage. And the fact that we were never going to see each other. But there was this one girl at my work in my second job. And we had a 30-minute dinner break. And every... Every night at dinner, we would spend that 30 minutes together. And she seemed to be really interested in what was going on in my life. And I became genuinely interested in what was going on in her life. But my wife had no idea what was going on in my life because we never talked. And one night after work, I crossed a line with that other woman. And I have messed up our lives. 
No margin. No margin in finances. No margin in time. And what begins to happen? Relationships get choked. The important stuff. And there's not a lot of important stuff. It's a short list. But it gets choked. And everything changed forever. You know, I've been pastoring churches for, I don't know, 20-some years. I have never in my life, never, listen to me, never one time has a family walk up to me on Sunday morning after church and said, Rick, we just wanted to say goodbye. We decided we're going to quit attending church. Never once has that, you would think once in 20-some years that would have, never has that happened. Never has a family walked up and said, this is our last Sunday, we've enjoyed it, we love you guys, but we won't be coming back anymore. We have made a conscious decision to no longer attend. But here's what has happened. Many times people have shown back up and said, we don't know what happened to us, we just messed up. Our kids started growing up and they started getting busy and there were so many opportunities for them and they all got involved in so many things and we just never said no and then we made a little more money where we could travel a little bit on weekends and before we knew it, we just didn't have time for God anymore. Never once did we sit down and ask the question, what is this going to cost us? Never once did we say, if we keep saying yes, at which point will we never be a part of corporate worship any longer? We didn't make time for the important stuff. And somehow we got off track. And the important stuff was neglected in our lives. You know, God still calls. I'm convinced of that. I, I just think He gets a busy signal pretty often. I, I think God's still calling. I, th- I, think, I think He just gets a busy signal. I got this friend named Ben. And, and, and Ben is, is a great guy. He inspires me so much. When I'm around Ben, man, I just think this is the kind of guy who wants to be used by God so bad that he sits around. I'm not making this up. He sits around and tries to dream up ways that God might use him. And so he goes and makes himself these business cards. And he, and he gives them to people in his Sunday school class. And he goes and he passes them out to people. And really it's an invitation to his church. And so a couple of weeks ago he's going to get a key made. And while he's going to get the key made, he's talking to the guy who's making this key for him. And before he leaves the guy, he hands him this card and he invites him to his church. And this guy says, oh, hey, I cannot believe you're doing this. If you knew where I was in my life right now, I'll come to your church. Oh, that's great. What's your name? Daniel Gloria. Oh, I knew a guy named Daniel Gloria when I was in high school. And Daniel Gloria says, Are you Ben Miles? They went to high school together. And Daniel says, Hey, I can't get broken up here. I'm at work, okay? You're going to have to go. I'd like to talk to you more about coming to your church, though. And he says, What if if when you get off work, we, we met at a restaurant over here this afternoon, and I'll buy you a glass of tea. And sitting in a restaurant, 
Ben Miles last week leads Daniel Gloria to Jesus. And in first service this morning, Daniel Gloria was sitting right here and he stands up and he waves at everybody and we welcome him into this life in Christ. And we welcome him to be a part of this church family. You know what margin is? It's what we allow for those times when God brings the unexpected into our lives. Rick, I love that story. I'd like to be in that story somehow, but man, so busy. I, I don't have time for the unexpected. I mean, if God wants to do something unexpected, he, He's going to have to get on my calendar. But it was God who set limits. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. What, what do you mean God set limits? We have li- yeah, we have limits. Oh, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's out of context. What does that mean? You can fly like a bird? No, you have limits. And you can't live life on the edge. And God says, you know, I know you can work seven days a week, but I'm calling you back from the edge. I'm wanting you to work six days, and on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I don't want you to live out there. But God, if I live out here, I mean, I can get so much more done. 24 more hours. Do you know what I can accomplish in seven days? I know what you can accomplish, but also know what it will cost you. And I'm calling you back from the edge. I don't want you to live. I'm setting limits in your life. And I'm wanting you to pull back. And I'm wanting you to work six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I don't want you to spend 100% of what you earn. I want you to give me some and I want you to save some. But God, if I were to invest my whole check, I know what you're capable of, God says, and I'm calling you back from the edge. I'm putting limits on you. In my morals, when you're reaching in to try to save a brother from the error of his sin, be careful that you don't tumble over in. And God is saying, step back from the edge in your morality. I want to say this as clearly as I can, and I will say it another time or two in this series. If you do not create margin in your life, in your finances, and in your schedule, chances are good. You can recover. You can get on a budget. You can get things straightened out. You can get yourself on a, on a better schedule. You can, you can fix that kind of stuff. But if you don't have more margins in your life, in your morals... You can be forgiven, but it can change your life forever. If you fall over the edge in your morals, it could change everything for a long time. I I, I grew up in a a little, little community... The, the town was Columbia, Kentucky, but we lived seven miles out of town. Not on, a, not on a road with a name, but a number. Where do you live? We live out 704. That was where we lived, Highway 704. It was a narrow road, and it was just curves and hills. And we drove way too fast. The speed limit was 55. It should have been 35. We drove 65. I remember the first time I took Annette home with me, she was like, please slow down, I'm so sick, I can't stand it. It's just like this, you know. We had a politician wanting to get elected and he promised that if he was elected, he would put shoulder on that highway. 
All of my life, I remember teenagers being killed on that highway. Driving too fast. There was no margin. You get crowded at the center line, you're going to crash. If you fall off the right edge, you're going to flip. And so he put a shoulder on. You know how wide the shoulder was? You ready for this? On each side, 18 inches. That's right here. We felt like we were driving down a football field. 18 inches. But it changed everything. And the amount of accidents went way down. Because we had room for error now. We had room for the unexpected in life. I got a feeling somebody is saying to me, Rick, I don't have, I don't have a shoulder on my highway. If, if I got crowded this morning at the center line, I would crash. My life would be a wreck. I, I, I don't have... Financially, we are living all the way to the edge. Time and our calendar, we're living all the way to the edge. Once in a while, once in a while, I have to pull back. I, I, hate the, I hate the phrase type A personality. I've had to live with that all of my life. I love being busy. But once in a while, my wife has to remind me being busy is not necessarily being productive. And being really busy is not necessarily doing what's important. And once in a while, she has to get a hold of my schedule with me and I have to resign from a bunch of stuff. And I have to just kind of back up and think about how I spend my time. You could be a workaholic, but somebody is going to pay beside you. It's going to cost people something if that's the life you choose. And Jesus says, there's only a couple of things that are really important. And I'm calling you to make room for the important stuff in your life. So just dream with me. Just for one minute and I'll, and I'll be done. I'll stop. But, but you know, what, what would it be like to linger at a dinner table? Or to find yourself this spring working in a flower bed that you've always dreamed of working in. Or doing something artistic that you've always wondered if you could do. Or actually setting aside the time to read a really good book. Can you imagine yourself ever taking a long walk? Or sleeping through the night? Swenson asked the question, Does God lead anybody beside quiet waters anymore? You got enough margin in your life? Because if I'm going to follow Jesus and if I'm going to live in this kingdom kind of world, then I've got to take on the kingdom kind of values. And that is to make room for the important things, my relationship with the Father and my relationships with others. So before we go this morning, I want us to take some time to be reflective because I, I believe in my heart that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaks through people when they preach and God speaks through His Word.
And so you can be reflective and you can be prayerful where you are. You can talk to God about all of this right where you're sitting. Or you can come to the altar if you want to. In the Church of the Nazarene, we have these altars up here. And what they really are is a great place to pray. That's what it boils down to. It's just a place for me to come and to have a good, open, honest conversation with the Father. So this morning, it may be good for you to be able to come here and kneel and talk to the Father. So here's how we're going to do it. There are times in my life when I want to pray, and I feel like I want to talk to God, but I don't want other people coming up and laying their hands on my shoulder or telling me that they would like to pray with me. I just want a place to pray. And so here's what we're going to say. You see the drums over here? If you come and kneel over here on my left side, on your right side where the drums are, nobody is going to come and pray with you. If they do, I will go say, leave them alone. I will speak the truth in love, okay? (laughs) So you can come over here, and I could just promise you this morning that if you come over here to pray, nobody's going to bother you. Truly, I would ask somebody to leave you alone if they came up and put a hand on your shoulder. If you come over here, you're saying, oh, I'm okay. If people want to pray with me, that's fine. And so if you want to pray about your attention to the important stuff, I would invite you to do that. I told a story a while ago about Daniel Gloria becoming a new Christian. You may have listened to that story and said to yourself, I want to become a Christian. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And so you can come this morning and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus will forgive you. And there will be pastors over here on this side and you can get one of them their attention and they will come and pray with you and help you in that prayer if you desire that. They will also have oil and they could anoint you and pray for you if you're sick and you want to be prayed for for healing. It might be that you're going through a difficult time in life and you want to come and pray about that. Or maybe you're going through a really good time in life. And you want to come and give God thanks for that. It may be that you want to come with a friend or as a family. So why don't we stand together, okay? Let's take these last few minutes that we have to worship and reflect on what God has said to us this morning.
really won't be a, a dismissal this morning. I, I would just say to you that Kyle is going to lead worship for a while, and you're welcome to to stay. If you want to come down closer to the front, you're welcome to. Uh, if you want to come and pray with people over here, you're welcome to. If you want to come and pray at the altar, you're welcome to. And whenever you feel comfortable to leave, just, just feel free to go. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.